Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. Here's me just wading through the information. Just wading, you know, W-A-D. Is it waist height or chest height? Like, how much are we wading? There's so much information. I'm actually drowning in information (laughs) constantly. Misinformation, good information. That's good. I think it's good. I think people wade too little sometimes because it's hard. I'm so lost and confused in the information. (laughs) Scared and confused? Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction. Welcome. Today, we are going to continue on our little series of uh, mobility conversation. Uh, We're going to start tackling the old foam rolling thing. Yes, we are graced with Senator Howden. Oh, yes. And um, Chancellor Berg. Oh, you one up me there, did you? I did. (laughs) Okay. It sounds Palpatinian. Mm, Star Wars. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so let's start out where we usually do. How do you feel about last week's conversation? PNF stretching. PNF stretching i feel like it's more effective than static stretching yeah man you know what as we get along the road of the mobility thing what we discover is kind of back to what our initial position initial initial position was which is uh what are we training when we're exercising we're training the effing brain Mm -hmm. e-f-f-i-n-g yeah yeah so you know the big thing to to understand is it's not just mechanical structures we're actually addressing the way that your brain uses muscular tissue it's not just mechanics there's there's a lot more going on so um yeah. i found it really interesting because it was pretty clear like better than just static but still it's it's just a tool in the arsenal not not bad not good but i would say if you had to choose between the two go ahead and do pnf instead of just static mm-hmm. so do you want to go over your wins last week oh man this weekend was so good i had a hard time ending the weekend and going into the week even though i was excited about the week because i went swimming with just my boys on friday we were doing some diving for starfish how's the swimming pool is it busy it it was really crazy busy one week but it's back to normal there must have been an event one week but Mm. you know it's lucas is learning how to get under the water and being under the water with them with the goggles on is exciting we set up the christmas stuff this weekend Sarah's going to the third trimester now. Well, she's well into the third trimester. She's due in February, so. Yeah, number three. You have, you don't know how to say it, but do you have names on lock or not yeah, yet? You do? pretty much, pretty much. Like, yeah. do you have a backup? Or for, is it like, do you got, what? like, do you got one name or is there a backup name? <laughs> I don't know. People get um, weird about it. No, I think we've landed on it. We've, we've been using it, referring to the child. Like, what if, what if you tell me the name right now? I get Diane pregnant. She pops before February and then we take your name. That would, that would be probably a, be bad. A medical marvel <laughs> would be bad. <laughs> if you could accomplish that, I'd let you. I'd be like, yeah, okay. take the name, bro. <laughs> nice, you earned that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, the wins revolve around family. You know, Sarah's Sarah's doing good. The boys are doing great with swimming. Yeah, I get to start skiing with Will this week. I got some seasons tickets to COP with Will. So, oh, nice. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's gonna be good. How how about you? How's things? Good. As you know, my stomach's kind of up and down. Diane and I cut gluten last wednesday entirely and i've been 
gluten-free for seven days and stomach's a little iffy we've chatted on it but we did something that i needed to do for a while there is we actually went to a coffee shop together as a couple and we kind of goal set each other and we did it your old old method you taught me a couple years ago doing like a fitness category an athletic category and then a business category and then creating some goals for each one and most of those goals a lot of them were more purpose-based goals like completing a task rather than trying to obtain an, an objective um so rather than being concerned about crossing the finish line just running instead so personal life though it's been like you know like practicing vietnamese every day and uh, doing things like that so i've been working on that and a, a big part of it for me was actually just time managing myself and getting it in my calendar and getting some structure just overall structure in life it's funny though i was telling diane you know like when people complain about like struggles and and trials and life and things like that typically i find that the answer and again i learned this from you a long time ago is the answer is like you need to kind of strategize around the problem and create a plan to approach it but i feel like people don't like strategizing or creating that plan because after the plan always comes work and typically if you're feeling burnt out and beat up or depressed or anxious and you know, if you're if you're feeling down, it can be daunting to create a plan, and thus far, it pe- can become daunting to put in the work behind the plan. Uh, yeah, that's that is a fact, man. It is that's kind of the obstacle is the way sort of stuff you're talking about. Identify what the problem is, and once you know that, then start strategizing what you're going to do to respond. I love it. Yeah, goal setting for me and Sarah has always been really exciting because when we look back on what the goals are and you can just check them off and be like, did that, did that, did that. It's really exciting. And it also allows you to have this alignment as a couple. Like yeah. We're facing this together. And I think that's really important for a relationship. We've been dating 10 years and we've been married for two, three months. Mm. Um, but that was the first time we legitimately sat down and goal set each other. And she let me kind of go over mine, like all, all me first. And then she did all of hers and we kind of just bounced feedback off of each other. But I think it was pretty rewarding. We discussed, we wanted to do it once a month, just even as a date, Love it. just a coffee date and go in and talk and sort out the goals. When you say that you've like experienced those goals where you look back and you see the, like the wins, I've seen stuff like that in my life, but it was never tangible where I have it written down somewhere or anything. Like like my gym, for instance, what my gym looks like now, my home gym, is not what it looked like five years ago. Five years ago was a concrete floor with a bar and drop pads with no plate storage. Like I just had a plates and bars and I had nothing. And now I have like a cable machine, a beautiful bench. I have a skier, a rower. Like I have all these toys, which would have been goals, like goals to build a beautiful gym. And it's come to fruition. Yeah, you know what? There's a there's a different aspect that when you when you actually put the time into making the vision, realizing it has this kind of innate value. So I think that it's something that you can absolutely do more. Where it's like, well, a tree falls in the woods, but no one's there to hear it. Um, does sound still exist? That's a physics thing. It's more of an issue of does anybody care? Mm-hmm. The answer is well, if no one's there to hear it, then who cares that it fell? Yeah, and I think that's that's the case a lot of times with performance. It's like, well, you know what? If I put it down, I make the vision. When I get there, I'm stepping into something, and the excitement is just greater. So, like I, re- I remember when it was like, I want to be the provincial champion for weightlifting. Mm-hmm. When I did that, it it meant more because I had kind of envisioned it and whatever else, and and we had other goals like let's go to Scotland with Will, and and we did that, and little things like that. And it was like, wow, we. We set it up. We made the decisions. We got there. Um, it, I think, it adds really good value. So, yeah. There's, um, I don't know if you knew this, but like Jim Carrey is 
one of my favorite actors as a child. He's a pretty intense motivational speaker, even though he's a little weird from time to time. Have you ever seen some of his speeches? Yeah, he he's intense. He goes he goes from really fantastic to like, dude, did you just go flat earth? Yeah, he, <laughs> he can go a little crazy, but I watched one of his videos yesterday and to speak what you're saying on, he's like, you know what? Like, you might as well take a shot at what you want because if you're going to fail, like it's it feels better to fail at something that you love Whereas it hurts way more to fail at something that you didn't even really care about to begin with. So if you're like not chasing your dreams and you're just compromising, like if you fail on the compromise, it hits way harder because you're like, damn, I, I didn't even like shoot for what I want and I still didn't get it. That hurts more than being like, man, I'm shooting for what I want, but I didn't get it. Like it's more exciting to chase what you want rather than just to compromise and roll over. Well, and it also gives you a sense to be like, well, I got 70% of the way there. There's still wins there. Yeah. You know, like I had a goal of I wanted to compete internationally with weightlifting and all of the things that happened with my health and stuff like that. Before that, it, it meant that I didn't ever get to do that. And that's a goal I didn't hit, but I was trying. Yeah. And just the fact that I was like, okay, well, I, I actually made the qualifier for Pan Ams and I just needed to get in the top eight in the country so I could go. And then I had the the kind of onset of my my leg so even that i look back and i'm like well listen i was i was getting to that level and and it was that's not something that ended up being in the cards but i'm glad i shot for it mm -hmm. so but we are getting off the the beaten track here let's let's talk about what we're getting into today which is foam rolling foam rolling um for those of you that um have done it um just talking about you know what what is this whole thing? Uh, foam rolling is essentially applying pressure. So we've talked a little bit about percussive or vibration therapy. This is a similar... <laughs> that's a ASMR. I just taught Curtis what ASMR oh, is. Yeah, I didn't know that. Foam rolling, percussion. Ayo. I don't know about that sound. That's better. Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, okay. Um, but basically what we're looking at is applying positive pressure, meaning putting pressure towards something. You can use like a tube, a ball, you can use almost anything. Um, vibration therapy would be using that with kind of something that vibrates. Where does it come from? Basically, the history of foam rolling starts like a long time ago, way longer than you think. So a guy with the last name of Feldenkrais uh, actually started using that um, as a tool in like the, the early 20th century. Like he he was basically applying this and, and talking about what he can do. And really those Feldenkrais practitioners were using that for a while. And then there was this guy that um, started using it. It was kind of the twenties where Feldenkrais started using it and, and talking about it and showing it to people himself. And he'd teach this to physical therapists. He was a martial artist. Um, but the guys that started using this with more note, towards where we're at today really in 1987 a physical therapist named sean gallagher uh, was one of the ones that really popularized the thing um and started using it mainly in a physical therapy realm which is physiotherapy in canada um but he was using it to try to create um space create awareness of of tissues um and then started kind of progressing from there and the big thing that that is interesting to me is that people started taking note of it in 87, but the first patent for a foam roller was 2004. 
Oh, wow. So it's a lot of people think it's like a new thing, but it's been used since like the 1920s. And it was kind of just Feldenkrais using it in his method, which is a lot of connecting to your body and understanding what's going on with your body. If you look into the Feldenkrais method, has some really interesting value, especially with things that you have a hard time figuring out uh, as a trainer or a therapist that's like, man, this doesn't make any sense. But now it's kind of like, it's like we talked about with stretching. It kind of has consensus that it's a good thing, right? Just like check, uh, let's let's go Instagram on it. Check mark X. It would be like check Improve for most Improve recovery. Yeah, yeah. Check boom. Yeah. It does this. Don't forget to foam roll and drink your water. Right. So when we talk about foam rolling, applying pressure, usually when people talk about this, it's like, oh, I'm going to foam roll my IT band, which PS might not always be the best idea. Uh, but we'll get into that. The, be- the best place to really get into foam rolling is what are the mechanisms involved? So if a, if a person were to approach you, a client approaches you and says, okay, I've been told I should foam roll. What does it do? What do you say? Putting you on the spot. If a client asked me yeah. if they were going to like, oh, I should foam roll. What does it do? My honest answer would typically be like, it's a, it's a temporary relief for it depends what they're wanting like why they're saying they should do it first off if they're saying that that uh, helps with their muscular soreness i would say that it's very temporary like yep. in my personal experience with like sciatic pain and low back pain and stuff the temporary effect was like half an hour maybe okay i didn't have long-term boost from it so tell me about that you were you had uh what a rookie what a rookie curtis what, where is it what's happening before you put me on the spot i'm gonna put you on the spot instead so i have a question and i think it'll help us get a better understanding of this so i just generically googled what is foam rolling okay and i have a statement and then i have a question so foam rolling is a self myofascial release technique it can be used to relieve muscle tightness soreness and and inflammation it increases your joint range of motion foam rolling can be effective tool to add to your warm-up or cool down before and after exercise so if a client whether they ask me or they ask the internet that's the answer that they're going to get before we even get into if those answers are correct I want you to tell the people what myofascial even is. Is that like a hair? (laughs) So fascia is a tissue that basically connects your structures in your body. So if you were to look at a cadaver, you would see like all the muscles and stuff. You you picture these like really red things. Well, maybe if you're a lot, but on a cadaver, everything's kind of gray. That's mm-hmm. what it is. There's this this stuff that originally we were calling fuzz. They were calling it fuzz originally. Um, but it's basically, it's the connective tissue that binds your body together. So there's fascial lines. So like if you were to think about like your deep anterior transverse line, it would be um, on the inside of your leg, uh, all the way down to your foot, up into your adductor, um, in your internal oblique, external oblique on the other side, pec, and then opposite hyoidal fascia, which none of that really matters. It runs in line. So let's just say that. So your calf and your hamstring work together. We know that they're connected via fascia. Um, and fascia really, there's sheaths of fascia intramuscularly between the muscles. There's going to be one that's kind of outside of the muscle, a, a outer layer that kind of works as a, a bag to hold it all in. <laughs> if you want to talk about it like that, but Myofascia, if you look at the amount of the amount of force that it would take to break that down, number one, if you were going to break fascial adhesion, 
if you pictured like fuzz between my hands, if you can't see this, picture like cotton batting between two hands. Squishing those two things together does not rip that cotton batting. If you wanted to rip that cotton batting, you would need to create torsion or tension sliding one hand up and the other one down. That's how you would rip it, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, myofascial release, if you listen to somebody like Andreo Spina, he'll be like, no, that's not what you're doing. And it's not that there's no value there, but the mechanism is a serious thing for me because can foam rolling be good? We'll talk about that. Um, can it be bad? There's really no study saying that it's bad necessarily, um, but is it what it's being sold as? Is it myofascial release? I would say that's a hearty no, because you're going to need about 2,000 pounds of pressure to break down uh, scar tissue or fascial tissue. Yeah, I think the perception amongst people, and this is talking to a lot of people, like shop talk in the gym and stuff like that, I think people's perception of foam rolling is that it's like the fascial release. So I think that when they think that they have like um, a knot in their muscle or some tenderness in a specific location, like a pulled muscle or something, I think that they, they assume that if they can roll that out, they can kind of like roll the knot out almost, like rolling the knot out um, of the tissue. And it has something to do with like the muscle itself, but also the fascials causing like tension in tissue there. So I think that is a uh, one generic reason why people think that they should use a foam roller. The other one is muscle soreness. And I think their mindset with that is like they're flushing lactic acid by like, um, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing and massaging around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So lactic acid isn't going to sit in your muscles. Your muscles aren't getting sore because the lactic acid seared them. You Just don't have, sitting in there burning. You don't have acid searing your muscles. That would be a ridiculous <laughs> biological proposition. But um, the idea that that they're breaking down fascial tissue, it's not really that. It doesn't mean there's no value though. I would say no. Um, what the mechanism is likely, it's somewhere between like a neurological facilitation, meaning you create pain and your body's going to be like, oh, that's really bad. Get away from that. And so it tries to relax to settle that pain down, mm -hmm. which can be a good thing. Like if somebody's feeling undue attention somewhere or, or pain somewhere, then that short-term relief, like you with your sciatica, was that valuable at the time? It felt like it was helpful. As I a, did it more than once. As a tool, it had some value. Yeah. Okay. Was it a solution? Definitely not. And I did, for my low back and my sciatica, like I was doing the generics of like glute bridges, foam rolling, and stretch your glute, being like the lay down on your back, pull one knee across your chest and get that deep glute stretch. Right. It's like glute bridge, stretch, foam roll. Like those three were essential that I was doing constantly and they gave me no true relief. And you know the question that I asked when I came in on that? Why does he keep getting that tension? Yeah. Right? It's not groundbreaking. It's not even that intelligent, really. But it was the question that you needed asked. It's like, well, why does this keep binding up? And with your kyphotic upper back, you like to tuck your upper back because you're a fighter. And you like to arch your lumbar. So we call that lordotic. So extension in the spine, flexion in the spine on your upper back. Um, when I looked at the way you moved, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to get tension there. And one of the big things that you were dealing with is my back is lit up because I can't really use my hips well. I'm extended. My glutes help extend my hip and posterior tilt my hip, but I'm stuck in anterior tilt and arched in my back. So my hip flexors continue to ask for more tension in my lumbar. So until we looked at it and said, well, okay, so where should my hips be and how do I use them when I exercise? That's correct me if I'm wrong when we started noticing a difference. Yeah. So 
the mechanisms of foam rolling. It is billed, like you said, as something that can help with your range of motion, decrease pain. I actually think that we have enough information here that we'll talk about that we can make a call on those, which we'll get into. But the myofascial release thing, I don't believe that it's a myofascial release. And you can talk with people that are smarter than me, like Andreo Spina and people that are, this is something that they do a lot. And you'll see a lot of FRC practitioners like Beard the Best You Can Be. I follow him. He's a beauty. He actually has a fantastic kin stretch class that I'm a part of. And um, one of the things that he's recently done on Instagram, he's like, hey, here's the best ways to use a foam roller. He went and threw it in the garbage. Oh, he would do something like that. He would, but he's he's partly doing that to be funny because he, yeah. he would use that as a tool if it was required. Yeah. But I think what he's drawing attention to is that if you continue to use a tool that doesn't end the problem, then you should probably move on and look for the for something that is going to give you more than temporary relief yeah so the other benefits that i found according to the web it temporarily reduces the appearance of cellulite <laughs> so if you got a hot data you go into the pool you can just rub that cellulite out for a hot minute and then <sighs> strut around in your speedo obviously yeah of course yeah it's european uh, <laughs> um and then the other one was like helps you relax i think before we go into the research, we should maybe talk about generically how people are taught to foam roll. Like, how do you, how do you foam roll? You foam roll every night. I do not foam roll every night at all. <laughs> no, I don't. But here's the thing. I'm very much like percussive therapy. I'm not against it. I'm not. And there's people that are like heartily against things and whatever else, but I, that's not me. I'm, I like to look at things as tools and I like to be well balanced and or at least try to be, I don't know, my view of self-balanced, I'm biased because it's me, but... <laughs> that means he's standing on a foam roller balancing. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of times when we look at foam rolling, people are like, oh, I spent an hour on the foam roller. My question with doing something like that, in the research, people will be like, okay, well, how long do we need to do this? And what they've done in some studies, I found one that they were taking one to three sets of two to four second repetitions, meaning you'd get on the foam roller and you'd roll back and forth for two to four seconds and take a rest. And then that was a total of 30 to 120 seconds. And basically small magnitudes like that were just as good as larger magnitudes. And in that same study, they were doing um, a lot more to see exactly you know which one which one actually is valuable and really the total of 30 seconds versus the total of 120 seconds ended up being about the same mm -hmm. as far as outcome so like they said well in summary relatively small volumes of rolling can improve range of motion with generally trivial to small effects on strength and jump performance yeah, beautiful that's great but the other piece to it that they said is that spending more time than that really didn't elicit any more significant results. I feel like somebody who spends an hour on a foam rolling and really appreciates that hour, it's just, it's more the act of self-care probably, like that's making them feel good rather than the actual foam rolling itself, like itself. Whereas if they're like, oh man, I took care of myself for a whole hour and I did this for a whole hour, like maybe that like that stimulation and feeling like you know the, all those sore areas like some people like massages feel good right so foam rolling maybe they just like that feeling and sensation well listen like if somebody if they feel like it's it's getting them better they actually feel better standing up who's going to take that away from them yeah are there other methods that you could use that are faster maybe but they're willing to do that one and they're getting benefit like letter buck uh, my challenge with foam rolling uh, mainly 
is the idea that if you think you're going to passively do something to your tissues, oh, I'm going to get a massage and now my back is just magically better. I think that's misguided. It's like if you get a massage, you're you're making that. What is the role of therapy, including foam rolling or stretching or anything? What is the role of it? It's to allow you to actually use your body. And the only way you're going to teach your body what it needs to do is by actually moving. So all of those things where it's like, yeah, well, it decreases soreness and it allows me to train um, at a higher level, for example, like um, increases in sprinting performance of like three percent or something. It's small. But that can be significant on somebody that's world-class. Yeah. So if it gives them that, should they do it? Yeah, well, yes, they should do it. But those people, they're doing foam rolling, and guess what they're doing? They're sprinting after that. Too many people, they're looking for an answer that doesn't involve moving their body and learning how to co- how to connect with their body. Yeah, like I feel an hour of foam rolling would be easier than your mobility class for an hour. <laughs> Not saying that it would yield the same result, but I'm just saying like some people might be blinded to the workload. Like doing like your mobility class, she rough sometimes. <laughs> she can be rough. And that's uh, if you don't feel the benefits of it right away. Whereas foam rolling gives you that sensation of, oh, it feels good right away. Yeah. One of the things that I've talked to my clients about a lot recently, especially from coming back from N1, um, I think a lot of people are willing to work up too hard, but not enough people are willing to work in hard. So my joint level strength class, I don't call it a mobility class, it's joint level strength. But Oh, my bad. <laughs> but anyways, um, in that class, what we're doing is, is we are working. We're working to find more control, to find more awareness, more function, and therefore more performance. That takes some effort, which is why I think people find value to be guided through it. Mm-hmm. But when you look at like the cost benefit I actually think that if you are to to learn how to connect with your tissues and joint level strength uses a variety of tools, not really a foam roller, but um, uses a lot of active lifts, a lot of PNF, a lot of stretching, a a lot of end range conditioning. A lot of the things we're talking about, we use as tools. So we have a toolbox that we're utilizing, but that is a lot of headspace for the average person. How do I put it together and whatever else? If they don't have the headspace to do that and they're just going to foam roll and they're seeing some benefit, like let her buck. There's value there. I'm, I'm going to say there's value there. So, but really when we come back, it's like, okay, so the purported value, are we breaking down fascial tissue? Well, no, I don't think we're breaking down adhesions very much. And if you wanted to, you'd need to do something like isometric ramping, which is an active contraction to push you out of the foam roller and then relaxing back into it. So again, we're connecting on a higher level, learning how to use that tissue. So when we look at it, is it myofascial release? No, I I wouldn't say that's the mechanism. Will it increase blood flow? I'd say that's a hearty yes. You compress a muscle, are you going to get more blood flow? Yes. Can we bring awareness to that tissue if, if only by pain reflex? Yeah, we can. So those things are like, yeah, is that going to happen? We can increase ranges of motion. We can prep somebody to exercise. We can do a lot of really good things, but... I don't think that we should oversell what it what it is because the mechanisms aren't really fully understood. And did you notice in most of the studies that they're like, well, there is some backup for this, but further research needs done? Yeah, in pretty much every study I looked at. So tell me about the meta-analysis you looked at. And for the record, Curtis being really sweet and nice, but I think foam rolling might be garbage after reading these studies. <laughs> <laughs> the tools, uh, you know, if you tell me a tool is 3%, yes, for 
the less than the 1% of population might want that 3%, but the 99% out there who's just trying to be health and fit, it might be a waste of time. The, the Let no the makes you feel good. No-name brand screwdriver versus the Mastercraft? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's, let's hear the meta-analysis. Tell me some stuff. So the meta-analysis that I got was... <laughs> so it was to compare the effects of foam rolling applied before so as a warm-up activity and post um they tested this on sprinting jumping strength performance as well as flexibility and muscle pain and the outcomes were to kind of decide like you know what role did foam rolling play in all of those so try to summarize this big long text there was 21 studies that were located um 14 of the studies used pre-rolling and then seven use it as post-rolling so pre-rolling resulted in a small improvement in sprint performance, 0.7% to be exact. Flexibility improvement was about 4%, and the effect on the jump was negative 2%, and strength performance was 2%. So super valuable for somebody who just started working out six days a week, doesn't watch their diet, and wants to lose weight and get jacked and healthy. That 1% is going to be really valuable rather than drinking your water and sleeping eight hours. Does this remind you of the conversation on BCAs? You shouldn't sleep. Like, you should only sleep five hours and foam roll three. Oh, I'd be a mess. But think, that 2% turns into 6%. <laughs> so this comes back to... That study is really interesting for me. Like, it's a meta-analysis, so it's looking at a lot of studies. Yeah. Um, but like no consensus exists in the scientific world on it. Uh, we talk about neuromuscular, like pain analgesic response, like all of these sorts of things. But my question with this as a tool, as many others is, is it the best step to take? I want to see the smallest step with the largest gain. Yeah. What's that called? Like the minimum, minimum effective dose. That's right. Right. So the minimum effective dose, that's why I'm playfully trashing it because to me in gen pop, I don't think gen pop needs to be concerned about a 0.7% or even a 4% difference when that energy could be waste, like utilized probably more effective, even if it's not like mobility focused, but just your life focused, like water, nutrition, recovery, sleep, stress, like you could probably get a bigger, bigger bang for your buck. You know, I forget who said it. It wasn't me, but one of the most ridiculous things is to do a really good job of something that ought to have never been done. <laughs> and that to me is a very, very good statement because when you look at all the potential changes that somebody can make, is this the number one change to make? Our conversation on BCAs and massage guns, the real question is, is it worth your time? Mm -hmm. And for me, the average person, unless they've got some significant discomfort, it's like, well, is it worth your time? I'd actually rather see you learn how to use that muscle better. Mm -hmm. um, put your effort into learning how to actually find the muscle that you're trying to work. Um, and you're probably not going to have the same sort of muscular pain. You know, control your tempos. Learn your execution. Control your tempos. Is it worth going through all these things that seem like an easy response? Oftentimes not. During a day, if I have more than like four focuses in my workday... I find that I just don't do as good of a job. Like I try to keep the amount of different focuses that I have down because otherwise the work product just goes down in quality. Yeah. And I feel overwhelmed and I don't feel like doing any of it. I don't think that makes me crazy. So when we talk about foam rolling, 
Is it a tool? Yes, I think it's a great tool. And one of the things that I found digging into the research is you need to do it a lot less time than people say. Mm-hmm. So when we look at 30 seconds total time getting the same as 120 seconds as far as result, it's like, okay, so listen, use this as something that's quick and playful and then get to what you're actually going to do, the meat and potatoes. Um, so is there value? I would say yes. Okay, there's there's value. There is value. But Questionable is it value. the best step to take? I, I would say no. Yeah. I do very little foam rolling, like shockingly little. You say it nice and sweetly, but again, I'm just going to stand by the statement of like, is it important for gen pop? Focus on something else, 100%. So what's the the first two things that you would would focus on? Let's get there. The last piece of this meta-analysis real quick though was- Don't get it. Overall, it was determined that the effects of foam rolling on performance and recovery are rather minor and partly negligible but can be relevant in some cases. This is the sweet part, like Curtis saying, it's a good tool. Uh, Can be relevant in some cases to increase sprint performance and flexibility or reduce muscle pain sensation. Evidence seems to justify the widespread use of foam rolling as a warm-up activity rather than your recovery tool. So, yeah. I 100% think, um, again, just as a person or a coach, however you want to slice it, if you're spending 30 minutes twice a week at night foam rolling try to make yourself feel better i think if you want to focus on your mobility and stuff you're probably better off taking something like your joint level class or you're better off playing with your kids or drinking more water or getting more sleep or not watching netflix meditating doing something like something that's high value self-care and anything that's high value self-care to me is minor like minimal distraction yeah well that the, the distraction thing is more concerning. So it, it ends up coming back to the thing. Um, is it bad to do? Well, maybe it's not bad to do. Is it the best to do? I would say no. Yeah, for a 0.7 to a 2% increase. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So one of the big things that I was looking at with the meta-analysis that I brought up, it was like, okay, well, what was illustrated is that pre-rolling seems to be an effective strategy for short-term improvements in flexibility. If you then train that range, you spent 30 seconds getting ready and then you train that tissue, I'd say that it has even more value. And it doesn't decrease muscle performance in doing it. So that's good. It doesn't, they're not willing to say it increases, but they're like, yeah, it won't decrease it. So that's something. Um, it also showed that the improvement on sprint performance to be expected from it um, is there, but pretty statistically small. So unless you're top end, don't worry about it. Um, the recovery rate of performance measures of speed and strength with post foam rolling are good. It helps recover a little bit, which is really at the end of the day, um, something that's a circulatory issue. It's mostly relevant for elite athletes. So if you're not that, maybe not the biggest concern. Underlying mechanisms are elusive is what they say. um, And they're in part contradictory. Um, So it's really not very clear on what the effects are um, as far as alleviating soreness, uh, but they, um, endorse the utilization of post rolling for that aspect. And then the psychological aspect is something that they end up talking a lot about. And it's like, yeah, listen, if you're feeling better then use it. So a lot of what they say is, is kind of sweet and they're, they're being nice about it cause they don't really know. And that's why you'll see people that are heartily against it. And like I said, that's not me, but I am going to say for the value you can get out of foam rolling. If you learned how to execute, to use your tissues better, you'd be far further ahead. So the hype around foam rolling, would you say that it's fitness or fiction? Mm. 
even though it has a 0.7 to even a 4% increase, I'm still going to say, I'm going to lean on that as fiction because I don't think it's nearly as valuable, especially even like if you listen to this going forward and you've like listened to the analysis and the studies and you kind of know where we're coming from and where like university state like based studies have figured this stuff out for the past 10 years people just like trainers in the gym like oh yeah just grab the foam roller and roll your quads out roll your glutes and hamstrings out and then we're going to start your leg session like there was like i really wonder what the intention was behind calls like that and that's just for me being in the gym for 10 years with like working with multiple different trainers multiple coaches like it's like just it feels a little blind so in your experience when we did less of that and started figuring out how to move better and strengthen the system. What, like, was that something that was notably different? Well, we utilize, like, so I was utilizing foam rolling for an injury, for recovery, for pain management and things like that. It worked for like maybe 20 minutes after I started working with you on the back and movement and movement and things. I don't think I ever went on a foam roller again like um with any real intention aside from you know like like right now as we're sitting here my left trap feels a little sensory rich and a little cranky like i wouldn't mind throwing a lacrosse ball on that trap just to you know give them a little juice make them feel a little bit better but like nowhere in my brain is like this is going to be a long-term recovery strategy for the <laughs> trap i'm fixing myself and things are going to be better it's more of just like it's just a massage like oh that feels good a little pressure that's that's since since we worked together. So for me, I'm going to go ahead and, and go out on a limb and call it fiction. The reason I'm calling it fiction is if we don't have somebody that's assessed the system and they're saying this is a good thing for the following reasons, then we legitimately don't have backup for why we should do it. So let's learn how to move better, how to control your movement, and instead of worrying about the little passive things we can do, start worrying about the active things that you ought to be able to do. And I think that learning process is going to be far more valuable than just randomly laying on a foam roller for a whole hour. Um, and that's, you know, I know that I'm biased towards that because what I've seen work is not laying on a foam roller for hours. However, I have a current client that does have some weird fascial tension that the physio said, I want you to get after the lateral quad on the top end. And she is noticing some relief from that, um, that specific focus. So... You know, I, I do think the way that foam rolling is usually applied is absolute fiction. It's overhyped and oversold. If you look at the value of some of these companies that have started since 04, it's huge. And that's that's why you see the hype. They want to sell something. Well, and prior to this as well, like we discussed, like, how do you how do you foam roll? And you said, you know, 30 seconds, 120 seconds. Some people do it for an hour. What I got was like, you know, you do it for 10 seconds, but it's all over the place in regards to like, oh, well, as I'm foam rolling my quad, as soon as I get a, like a painful part, just sit on that part for a little while, just sit on it and let it calm down and then roll around a little bit more. Like there was no like true, like, you know, like I think it's a standard that people know, you know, about 10 reps is a good rep range to build <laughs> muscle, you know, 10 reps ish, 10 reps, just like hypertrophy style ranges. We don't really have any structure for foam rolling like that aside yeah. from, you know, just roll around on it, just move it a little bit. Well, and yeah, it comes, it comes down to how do you actually get a good study because it's so individual. Mm. Like if you ask me to go to, like if you identify, I want these many reps with good execution at this tempo, and I want you to go 
your proximity of failure. I want you to go, so your first set, you might have two left, your second set, you have one, and your last set, you've got zero. Um, you watch the way that I push versus the way that um, somebody that's newer pushes. I have new people that pick something up. They're like, oh, this is heavy. And I push them to do like eight more reps and it's all good technique. Uh, as you get more neurologically efficient, it really changes the variables. So that that's one of the big limiters as far as figuring out what's going on and, and looking at the research really effectively. So to summarize, we both think that this is total fiction, overhyped, yeah. borderline garbage. So now... What do you think? Do you foam roll every day? <laughs> He's pointing at the camera. Everybody. <laughs> it's he, it's kind of like we want you, except for he's not serious. He's like, you got a big What do you do smile. for your foam rolling routine? Let oh. us know in the comments below. Five things to fix your back. You've never met my back. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you do. Yeah. Glute bridge, you foam roll, you do a hip flexor stretch, and uh, some dead bugs. And Done. You're fixed. It's, yeah. It's like a rolling a tube of toothpaste. Says the guy that did two days of education is now an expert. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, don't, I, I don't know who that guy is. It's not you. Well, I'll take <laughs> it for me for foam rolling. Like I researched oh, foam rolling for maybe two hours or something. Oof. You know? Yeah. Well, digging in, I, I actually was, I always go in being like, man, I'm going to get convinced on this. And this very similar to stretching is like, listen, it is a tool that can have value, but it needs to be specifically applied for a particular reason. Like I'm 100% the opposite. When I went into this one and static stretching, I was like, time to be like, time to confirm the total BS. Here we go. <laughs> I had more faith in PNF. When I was going into PNF, I was like, there's something here for sure. There's got to be something. That's called d digging into your biases. But You're like, prove me right, baby. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's good. We should land on other sides of the coin. And, you know, at the end of the day, we kind of landed on similar spots. So that's encouraging to me. What are we going over next week? Next I'm, week? I'm very curious on ballistic stretching and hyperbolic stretching just because I've seen it thrown around. And it seems intense. It's got to work. Well, let's, let's go into the ballistic stuff. It's got to work. <laughs> the name like ballistic? Oh, yeah. Way cooler than appropriate. Anything that starts with ball has to be good proprioceptive neuromuscular ballistic stretching <laughs> that sounds like a hype name boom yeah pn dynamic um yeah so i think next week we can absolutely do some ballistic stuff we'll get into them leg swings can you summarize just what ballistic stretching is for like give me your 10 second 30 10 20 second you know when you see somebody doing like sprint drills or like leg swings that's like your ballistic stuff with like just, with speed with momentum. Just torquing the shoulder around. Well, oh, that's yeah. Some of these. Hopefully they're doing. Yeah, I've seen I've seen <laughs> shoulder stuff where they go back and forth. Some of these, like all all those big arm swings that are really fast. Um, I think we should dig into that, and then we're gonna have to get into end range conditioning, and then we're gonna have to summarize because this is many episodes talking about mobility matters, and if you go and look at fitness marketing and even. Even things like the magazines that are offering fitness, what they're doing is they're trying to find notable names to share like, oh, here's five things you can do for your ankle. And, and the thing that I want anybody that's listening to this to do is when they see recommendations like that, that are blanket recommendations, I want them to be able to look at it and, and kind of get through that without just blindly accepting because it's like, oh, that person has a last name that I recognize. They must know. It's like, well, no, they don't know you. And they can't care about you because they don't know you. 
it's actually so, 100% the hotness for physios and I see a lot of physios and chiros and things like that who are posting on Instagram like tight traps three things tight this four things like at the bare minimum at least they're inspiring people to maybe move and try some new things but again it's just like completely throwing spaghetti at the wall yeah I'm gonna go ahead and try to stay positive on it I really work <laughs> to do that that's a, a commitment I made to be you know when I'm when I'm on social media and stuff I try to stay positive hopefully those situations are giving people more ideas yeah but the people listening what I'm hoping to establish is the idea that they can see what's happening there which is you know what they are presenting a few things that they're hoping to get attention for and if they get attention for it they're hoping to have a business outcome um, I want the people that are are watching to understand that the hype in the fitness industry is I hate to say it but it is pretty much consumer based people are doing that because people buy into it and if they're causing them to have realizations and they're giving them help then I'm glad that they're buying into it but if you aren't getting the information or the help that you need uh, I met with a client yesterday that has been searching for 10 years to deal with some of the lower body issues that she has um, if that's you don't buy into the hype it's not the next solution the the real story if you look deeper it's not just a quick answer it's going to be okay get a good assessment from somebody that's good and then we can start taking steps and identifying what helps and truly what doesn't so if you made it with us this far um, thank you for being here um, if you want to drop us a review uh, that would be fantastic we're we really enjoy doing this and we really love when people are like, well, this is what I'd like to hear you talk about. In the future, we were talking about some live streaming too, weren't we? Potentially. Yeah. So maybe we'll get that going soon. If someone's interested in that, you should leave a comment on YouTube or Instagram and let us know so I'm more motivated to set it up. <laughs> <laughs> Techie. Yeah. Nice. Do you have anything else to add, sir? People love you're a, you're the comedic one I hear. You're you're the you're the so fun funny one. looking. I'm the nerd. Um yeah, so if we do a live stream, we might uh, stream it on Twitch cuz I got some pretty cool software to do that. So we would stream it on Twitch and share it to our social media pages. What I'm thinking or throwing around the idea is maybe we do a half an hour pre-session where we just sit down and just talk like friends because sometimes we pretend to be friends and then um we can answer your questions and engage with you guys. And then that would probably be somewhere along the lines of like two third, like two o'clock start. And then two thirty, we would actually get into our podcast episode where you could be in the, the live chat room with us. And you could even ask questions and we can engage with you and interact with you. I would especially love to interrupt Curtis with your questions. And you love interrupting. Yeah. Sh shut up, Curtis. <laughs> Tell me what myofascial <laughs> is. Okay. Sh 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 shut your mouth. Um, so yeah, that's something that we might throw around, but uh, if somebody's interested in that, I would love to hear it. And I told Curtis we were going to bang this bad boy out in 20 minutes, and 45 minutes later, here we are. Cheers. I need another coffee. And everybody have a good week. Yeah, I was just going to say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.